Hey, everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> this is there. what we're going to say. Wow, you sound rough there, buddy. Yeah, seriously. Oh, man, yeah. It's because that's how we feel. Uh, yeah. We There's a little bit of sickness floating around today. I feel today. fine. I feel great. You said you are going to go home and take a nap. Well, that's because I, I did detention school this morning. Detention but what did you do? I, I mean, uh, I, you know, I just had to I yell lost a lot. my temper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I lost my temper on Friday and I had to come and do. For those of you who do not know Veritas, we have a Saturday school, much like the Breakfast Club. No, in fact, not much like <laughs> we, we don't leave them in a room together. We don't leave them to, in a room together. No, and they don't just sit in the library and do nothing. No, we've got Saturday school where we've just moved to a new campus and we come and we've got lots of chores to do. And the kids that have accrued a number of uh, marks, which are our version of demerits, have to come. And so at um, quarter to seven, I and um, many of our... Um, Vaguely disgruntled youth. Yes, vaguely disgruntled youth uh, um, descended upon campus and picked up trash and moved things into storage containers and washed windows and all See, these sorts of fun things. And I can't tell if it's just you getting sick. You sound deeply unhappy as you describe this. I'm a little, I'm sleepy, but yeah. you guys, you guys don't we're sound at, very good. I'm, I'm Hamburg is falling apart. I think I missed my, those were my first two days to miss of work since really? I started here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's I almost never. Yeah. Iron, Iron I, Man streaks over. Well, uh, so, well, actually, uh, AJ, I believe you recently watched a movie related to this, so get excited. So, elementary, middle, and high school, I never missed a day of school. What? Ever. You according are unbreakable. According to M. Night Shyamalan, what am I? <laughs> You're a superhero. I'm a superhero. And then, as of last week, I was no longer a superhero. Oh, well. So, that happened. Oh. Well, at least you don't have to tangle with a Mr. Glass. Yeah, see, I haven't, I've only seen the first one. Does he tangle in the first one? Yeah, I mean, oh, he oh. finds out that Mr. Glass is a bad dude. Yeah. But then, anyway. They're not really against each other. Didn't you go and see the new one? I did. And it was? A, a, a movie. movie. A movie. <laughs> it was a, a nice Shyamalan movie. It was good. I, I, I don't know. It was it was not bad. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Not bad, raves AJ Hannenberg of classical <laughs> stuff. So, for those bit, of you who are... Would you say unorthodox? Uh-huh. Hey. It's all connected. Did you all right. Me? For those of you who are new to our podcast, let yeah. me go ahead and tell you what oh. it is and what we do before no, getting any further. My name is AJ Hannenberg. I am here with Graham Donaldson Hi. and Thomas Magby. Hello. And we three are teachers and educators at Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. And we all love classical things. We mm-hmm. like old books. We like old philosophy. We like art and architecture and all kinds of music. Just, and music and all kinds of old stuff. And that's what we're all about. And we try to bring that to you in a way that is totally palatable. So my understanding is that today we are discussing barbers um, from ancient times. Barbers? Yeah, oh. like the ones who cut your hair. The, I don't make the connection for me. Uh, the, you know, and then they have uh, the fashion shows. Wait, well, we're talking about heresy. Yeah. What is, is that what it's the, called? The, the heresy. heresy. <sighs> <laughs> this is so upsetting. <laughs> this is every time it's just, it's a punch to the gut. Okay. So right. now I, you know, I, I feel like I make worse puns than you also. I should be laughing more often. No, that was really bad. It was, it was a stretch and a half. I, I, that's why I was thinking about it as we went. So I saw the hair connection. Anyway, here we are. Here we are. Uh, that was, oh. sorry. Oh. Okay. So yes, today we're going to be talking about heresy. This was prompted first by, I don't understand why. I'm chuffed. I, I just want to hear all about modalism. And it's not on the list. You're not oh, doing modalism? It's not on my... So, so this is a fun time. <laughs> so now I've destroyed your happiness. So I'm glad we could do this. So what prompted this? This was first prompted by, AJ, your episode on St. Nicholas. And you talked about the literal story of St. Nicholas punching Arius in the face. 100% true. It's what happened. Don't deny it. 
It's not. It's not what happened. Okay. So you talked about that. And then Graham said some untoward things of, you know, Arius. And I stood up for Arius, which was kind of a silly thing because he's a heretic. But there's something to that of uh, the way we the way we remember Arius is like he was a bad dude, right? In that the, ver- the way the story goes, he wanted to destroy orthodoxy. And so he persuaded people of these wicked things. But we have no idea what he actually said. The story I knew is that he was a real good salesman and had like jingles and helped it stick in people's minds. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm remembering somebody else. Is that but from, yeah, when I studied church history. Cool. Is that, yeah, he was, was real he, cl- clever and he had like really great three point sermons that you remembered. And yeah. he was charismatic and he had like little pithy sayings that would be like, he's a different substance, not originally created. Like that. <laughs> but, but even, a, so you catchy, don't you think? Super. <laughs> I love it. But even when you say it that way, it's more that his rhetoric was good. So he was more of a sophist than anything, right? God and Christ are different stuff. <laughs> <laughs> different stuff is God and Christ. <laughs> History of the musical. I kind of like this. So why hasn't anybody written this musical? Is my question because it would be so boring. Heresy the musical it sounds awful. Oh I no! Really say There's it. a Mormon musical. It's kind of the Book of Mormon is. I, I think it's a stretch enough. to call it a Mormon musical. <laughs> I've, never the, I've never seen it. I just assume it, it's a more. It's about Mormons. N- I mean, it, it is about is, Mormons. That is the subject. <laughs> it's sure. technically accurate. It's by the people who do South Park. So oh ooh yeah. You you'd call. I think you would call it reverent. Ir- irreverent? No. Yeah. It's it's one. It's incredibly respectful. Very uh, reverent. Uh, None uh, of the characters are overblown uh, or exaggerated. This is uncomfortable. Oh, remind me partway through this podcast to tell you when I accidentally stumbled into a, uh, um, a like Chinese religious revival. I feel like you um, should tell the story. Dance now. story. Why don't you tell the story? Now? Wait, so, dance. Okay. There's this band religion in China. Um, oh, what's it called? Is it Falun Gong? I think that's what it's called. The Falun, Falun Gong. Gong. Yes. Um, and, I used to live in Toronto and a lot of adherents to it would be in Toronto and they would hand out pamphlets and I knew nothing about it. Anyway, so there's this like traveling dance show that comes to Austin and it travels around North America and it comes at Christmas time and it says, you know, come watch traditional Chinese dancing. And, you know, the adverts have people doing like flips and throwing swords and stuff. And we're like, oh, this sounds awesome. So my wife and I got tickets to it. Halfway through it, we realized pretty quickly that this was like the, the Falun Gong's version of like vocational Bible school. Oh. Like there was a hard sell on on like joining, not joining, but I'm just like being sympathetic to it. And um, this one guy came on and like sang a song about how the end of history is going to happen and we're all going to be vindicated and everyone in China is going to realize that they should have been following us. And then the last dance number was this very heavily uh, tinged apocalyptic, like basically the end of the world came and these gods descended from the ceilings. And um, and then all the faithful were taken up into into heaven, and there was like floating Buddha statues and stuff. And my wife and I were like, "What are we watching?" Seriously. Anyway, but um, did they throw swords? Yeah, it was then, cool. I'm, then I'm on board. Then you're it okay awesome. with it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry, I've derailed this. Enough. No, it's fine. We'll also be talking about Falun Gong in this. That's not true. Uh, so uh, heresy. So kicked off by AJ's podcast of talking about. Arius uh, in relation to St. Nicholas. And then in our last episode, AJ made this super great comment about not treating the unknown as known. And I would say the title of last podcast, if I trusted myself not to giggle about it, but if you look in your podcast feed, you'll see. On Dutang. Uh, there, I'll get, thank you. Much, much appreciated. So that idea of not treating the unknown as known is important in talking about heresy as well. So 
I'm often accused of doing book reviews, so <laughs> today we will continue in our uh, tradition of... Don't let my wife bully you, Thomas. She already does all the time. I just cry about it. That's okay. <laughs> she was a goalie. She's, <laughs> she doesn't take any guff from anybody. So hack the bone. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Hack the bone? Is that something they say in hockey? Yeah, yeah. If their shin guards are like... If their shin guards aren't on properly, just get a stick in there and... That's and horrible. And hack the bone? Yeah, chop that tree. That's knock them horrible. down. Hey, if they're standing in your crease, all bets are off. Standing in your crease? That, what is that? If you're a goalie, you have a crease. And, the, and, the, and if you have someone in the blue paint, you can hack the bone. What's a crease? Are what's you speaking? Hello? <laughs> Graham, are you okay? Boys. Are you coming down you with something? You gotta give her 110%, eh? Forecheck, backcheck. Just get the I, pucks in deep. These aren't words. <laughs> okay. So, speaking of books. So, what is centering our discussion today is a book called Heresies and How to Avoid Them. And Graham and AJ got a kick out of their names when we when I first shared this with them. So hopefully they'll still giggle. So the, the author or yeah, this book is edited by two people. One of them is named Ben Quash. Anyone? No one. Okay. And quash Michael theory. Ward. So <laughs> today we're going to Ward quash. And quash yeah, we're going to quash heresies, heresies and ward them it. off. Yeah. This sounds about right. Warding them off and quashing them. So heresies and how to avoid them, why it matters, what Christians believe. That is what we are talking about today. So, what is a heresy? Is there? Yeah, this is, this is our definition? first place to start. Yeah, and so part of this, part of my confusion as to why you all are excited about this is that almost the least interesting thing about the talking about heresies is the heresies themselves. But I'm worried that you anyway. I have a, like three or four like main ideas related to heresies that I guess we'll get to at the end, and I guess we'll get there by talking about the heresies. But yeah, we're talking about mostly early church heresies. The book is split into two different sections. The first section are four heresies related to the character of Christ. And then the the back half is more about like um, church life. Um, so things about how we think about the Old Testament. I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. So yeah, sure. We should start off with a definition of what is a, what is a heresy. Does anyone want to take a swing like to understand the idea of heresy? I, I will take a crack. Go for it. My understanding of heresy is specifically regarding sort of Christian faith is a belief about or interpretation of the story that if that builds into a, a theological premise or theological position, and if that theological position is held and believed and sort of works itself out into a community, it makes salvation impossible. Like it undercuts oh. the rest of the story. That's sort of the, the, the makes salvation impossible. You know, no, like, like, um, or it makes it, it it's, uh, it makes um, not not make it it puts a disjointure into the rest of the story. So, like for example, Arians say that Christ is of a different nature and a different substance of God, and you can have um, proof from the text, or you can have sort of things that you cite, like he was the firstborn of creation. You know, in I think it's in Colossians, and I think that that kind of is the big the big maybe cited Arian verse saying that Christ mm-hmm. is a created mm-hmm. being; he's the firstborn of creation, um, different from God. But so if you hold that belief, it makes the rest of, of the salvation narrative not work because if because if if this is a great point. if God had to be man, yep. um, uh, you needed the perfect sacrifice that only God could do. You needed the pre- perfect representation of the accused, a man, man like it. Um, you couldn't perfectly wipe away the sins with a goat, right? And you per- couldn't perfectly wipe away the sins with an angel because the angels weren't representative of of, of the accused party. Right. So you needed a perfect man, and so God, you needed a God man, and so if he wasn't God and was a different substance of God, then you still don't have a perfect sacrifice. So that's my under- That's what I mean by this is is that it's a it's um 
it's one thing that you've said about Jesus, or it's one thing that you've said about the nature of God, which is often what the heresies are. But if you played it out to its logical conclusion, it throws in disharmony into the rest of these other theological positions so that like the full understanding of the gospel and how it works doesn't isn't going to work because now you've you know taken out a part or I like your definition. Mine was just untrue things about God would be a heresy. Yeah. So I think Graham is getting at why heresies matter. And then AJ's is more, there is a more fundamental definition. So this is, I I feel like so few books are are clear on things in the way that this book is. So literally the first sentence of the first page, ideas achieve the status of heresies in Christian tradition because they are thought by the church to be wrong rather than right teaching or doctrine. A heretic is a baptized person who obstinately denies or doubts a truth which the church teaches must be believed because it is part of the one divinely inspired and Catholic that is universally valid Christian faith. So it has to be a baptized person? for To be a heretic, yes. So, Otherwise, they're just a non-believer. They believe right. something else. I th- yeah. uh, you want to say more? I think no, this, I'm, I think that's well, I, I think this distinction matters to say that. I think it does, too. Yeah, so this isn't... Because if you meet some guy on the street and he's like, God is a giant turtle, yeah. you can be like... You do you, man. Yeah, the appropriate reaction to that is not to... Call him a heretic. Call him a heretic, because he's not. He's not saved. He's not baptized. He's not in the the, the church family yet. So that... I think it's an important distinction to say that this is... So when we're talking about these things in this podcast today, it's their inter-family conflicts. Is that the right way to call them? Like it's brothers fighting Mm -hmm. brothers. A family squabble. Yeah, family squabble is the right way to put it. So it it does not relate to religions outside of Christianity. It does not relate to people outside of the Christian faith. So I think that is an important thing to point out. What Graham is talking about is especially why the – it's kind of why the book is split into these two sections of heresies about Christ and then heresies about stuff that's not Christ. Because if there are things that aren't true about Christ in these first four – chapters, then it, it messes with the substitutionary, uh, it, 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 substitutionary atonement. That's what I was going to say, mm-hmm. but that's a goofy word. It, it messes with his ability to be our representative in sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It, it messes with the ability of that sacrifice to, uh, to pay for our sin. Yeah. So if God was just like a spectral projection of a man and not actually a man, if he was like Luke Skywalker in, uh, the new Jedi movie, whatever it's called, the last Jedi. Your favorite one. Yeah. Oh, that movie's sucked. Anyway, wow. if, um, if, you know, so if he wasn't actually, there's, I think there's a heresy that was, oh, Jesus, he wasn't actually a man because being yes. like his flesh is evil. So he yep. was just like a real good hologram. Gnosticism? I don't know what, I don't know which one it is. Uh, we'll I talk defer about, to my expert. Is that me? Mm-hmm. Not Gnosticism, but yeah, we'll talk about it later. Do you want to? No, that, we'll, it's we'll just, get, we'll get it's just, yeah, it, it, all these different heresies regarding Christ. So that's like the opposite. Anyway. Yeah. Just a few more as as preface before we go into the statements themselves or the heresies themselves. I thought this echoed really well what AJ was saying in the last episode. When all is said and done, orthodoxy is the hard discipline of learning to say what needs to be said and no more. Too often those we learn to call heretics have tried to say more than can be said. They have succumbed to the temptation to say too much by explaining what cannot be explained. And that's a majority of them is that they want to, yeah, they want to go too far. There are a few of them that don't go far enough and the, the book kind of splits those out, but more often than not, it's, there's a mystery to God and the heretics go too far in wanting to clarify that mystery. Can we, are we going to do a quiz show? As to what the heresies are? Yeah. Are you going to like tell us the heresy we need to tell you the name? Or are you going to tell us the name when we need to tell you what the heresy is? I'd rather do it. Yeah. I'd rather do it that way. Can I give you one last thing? Mm-hmm. I think that's related to this. This might not be interesting. So 
there's another thing called a schism versus a heresy. Mm. Does anyone want to take a swing at that one? As far as I know, a schism is a disagreement within the church that causes a break in organization. Yeah. And is it something that is a difference of opinion on something that is not centrally orthodox? So, like, the grand schism was between Mm. icons, right? Mm. Um, And so the Eastern Church saying that these icons had a... Was it that they had a... um, um, That they... They almost had the same kinds of things that happened at uh, communion. They had a sacramental uh, um, presence, or they had a sacramental authority. The Eastern Church said this, and the Roman Catholic Church said, "No, they don't. They're just they're just nice pictures." I, I can't remember. There, there was a, it, the schism was over was over the was over the icons. Mm, but that's the thing. I think schism the Monophysites. Schism is a divorce in the family, whereas yeah. a heresy is a spat. Yeah. So the goal. I guess we'll, this this story will be repeated over and over again. So what happens in heresy is even using the word is complicated because AJ raised this at some point a few episodes ago of, I forget what the topic was, but it was something to the effect of people believe something before the church made a formal stance on it. Were they heretics at the time? Do you remember this? I think it might've been the same I do not episode remember also this. talking about, I think it was talking about Arian uh, about Arians of, so people held the position of Arianism before the Council of Nicaea. Were they heretics before the Council of Nicaea? Maybe, but only in common practice. And I mean, much of the church's doctrine was defined in reaction to contrary doctrines. Yes. Like many of the councils happened because the Gnostics were getting popular, because yes. Arianism was becoming popular, because, you know, for various reasons. That's why. Very rarely do they call a big council where everybody has to travel and they're like, let's just have a meeting. Agree on things. Everybody yeah. hang out and... Uh, go over what we all agree on, you yeah. know. It's like camp. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are very few of those. <laughs> Sounds great. It's like a networking session. Yeah. Yeah. So my Pass answer... Pass out your LinkedIn. It's like, I'm the Bishop of uh, Milan. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds miserable. So you all should push back on me if I'm wrong, but I believe the answer is no. That this They were not heretics until... Until it is established as doctrine. Well, it wasn't contrary to orthodoxy yet. It mm-hmm. wasn't... It wasn't... So this is the complication. So... Arianism was wrong all along, but it wasn't established as doctrine until the Council of Nicaea. Is that mm-hmm. so? Uh, the view opposed to Arianism was always right, but it was not established as orthodoxy until the Council. Well, these things need to work themselves out, right? Yes. Like you need to. There's a. I wonder if there's even like a. Theoretically, there should also be the practical aspect of heresies, right? Like if a heresy is in fact not true, but it's held in belief in the church, then theoretically you should not see the church grow spiritually or have the fruits of the spirit, yeah. like growing in its members. So if you didn't, if you, if you deeply believe that, um, that in some sort of Gnostic heresy, um, and deep in your core, you believe that like the human body and the created natural world is somehow inherently sinful mm-hmm. and you act out of that belief, um, then y- there should be no outworking of, of fruit in your life. Uh, I can see how that could be a really controversial statement to say, but, but there's, there's probably, so there's something to that where you need to sort of see how heresies have worked themselves out in this community. And then they, and then the council of Nicaea can, can say, all right, the Syrian thing is not only against the story that we have received in scripture, but, um, all the people who are Arians are, you know, um, 
have this view about some aspect of creation that is um, that is meaning that they're not taking care of the poor or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Like because they've got some excuse as to not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair, and the the book will eventually end with some statement to that to a similar effect that right belief should live it live itself out in right action. There are situations where, so again, with for some reason, Arianism feels like the perfect example to point to. Arianism spread very quickly mm-hmm. and led. It was just easier to understand than the Orthodox Christian position. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe to, f- to further make the point. So I'm I'm a big believer that we currently in the church right now are living in amidst a time where lots of people don't realize that they are essentially functionally gnostic. That mm. They think that bodies and the physical world don't matter, and uh, so you see you see this play itself out in Christian. Uh, traditions that say things like, well, God's just going to destroy the earth one day, and so we don't really need to take care of it. Or, I believe in my heart, but I don't need to act it out of my body because my heart and my body are not, maybe they would never say it this way, but they're acting out functionally. My heart and my body are not linked. The things that I, the things that I do with my body don't, have, don't necessarily affect like the beliefs that I have in my mind. And so you've got this sort of hard disconnect. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then... Um, and so then, then that's not going to bear itself out in sort of the growth of virtue. Or if you, if you, yeah. And this so then you point. can say, well, the, the reason why it's not growing itself out in virtue is because you are you are holding wrong understandings of what it means to be a created in God's image being, and you think that the things that you do with your body are not going to have an effect on your soul. That's a heretical position because it does have an effect on your soul, and you are the sort of unified creature made under God and. And your body matters. Anyway, so that's kind of the point yeah, that I'm I, making. And I think that's also helpful because, again, I think most of what was the reason we're even talking about this is that I think it is important to have. Because <laughs> every time we ask students questions about like basic theological problems, they, they work themselves into heretical yeah, statements. There is that. But the other side is that I think there we should have some level. Uh, compassion feels like the wrong word, but some level of understanding for why there have been heretics or why there are people that we now call heretics. Yeah. Like more accurately, we would say, why were there disagreements in the church about certain theological issues? And the reason is that there were valid points on both sides. Yes. One was foaming at the yes, mouth, most of the wanting time. to tear the sucker down. There's, there is one of them that is that, mm. but otherwise it is people, two people who are just, ha- who are having a disagreement. And what I think is interesting in the definition that we started with uh, heretic is a baptized believer who obstinately denies or doubts the truth, which the church teaches must be believed. So it's that obstinacy, which they don't start out obstinately disbelieving yeah. because the the orthodoxy has not been established mm-hmm. at that point. What What is helpful in what you all are saying is that if we are now Gnostics, that's a bigger problem than if you were a Gnostic a thousand years ago before the theology or the orthodoxy was, was more yes. fleshed out. So mm-hmm. I think that's more what I'm getting at. Let's dive in to, I guess, some specifics. We'll um, we will spend more time on Gnosticism, I guess, because we've been talking about Yay. it more. But let's kick off. So there are four heresies related to the character of Christ. Oh, let's go, boys. So the first of these is Arianism. So what, gentlemen, is Arianism? Jesus Christ is the one. He is a created being, mm-hmm. not an eternal being. And he is of a different substance than the Father, meaning that they're not, they're not the same creature. He is... The I think the preeminent first creation is the is the doctrine, but he is a creation, which makes him subordinate to the Father, not on equal terms, and and not not subordinate in the way 
uh, subordinate in the way that we understand the Trinity to be subordinate by choice and hierarchy, but subordinate in that he there was a time when he wasn't, and then there was is a time when he was, and he depends on the Father for his very creation. Yeah. So that's as far as I understand. Yeah, you got it. So Christ being created mm-hmm. is kind of the, the the key part. Yes, exactly. Everything you said. Um, the yes. just the verse is justif- you know with justification. You know, he's the firstborn of creation, or the very fact that. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess those would be the big ones that, that um, any language partaking to Christ being um, um, born. Yeah, yeah and I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a basic understanding of fatherhood that your kid hasn't been there since for the whole time exactly. you've been right. there, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. I, so I understand how God the Father, God the Son would be confusing to everyone if they have been there the same yeah. time. And I feel like we've beaten Arianism probably into the ground. Just, again, the main points that or just some quotes to, to run through as we move on to the next one is again, some form of compassion for Arius, a, a quote I find lovely on like the third page of this chapter. Unlike me, Arius started from a position of strong faith and orthodoxy. He was a well-educated presbyter in one of the leading churches in Alexandria at the beginning of the fourth century, which I thought is just such a, a sweet sentiment to have. Even though he gets a lot of bad press, Arius was, as far as we can tell, scrupulous and careful in his study of the Bible. Uh, Graham just Graham made a comment a second ago, I think, about we don't have his writings. So the only way we know what Arius believed is about what other people said that he believed. But his opponents were not presenting him in the best light. So it's the I forget if I made this comment on a recording or just in our conversations. It's the same with the sophists where like they get a bad rap all the time, but we don't actually have the writings of the sophists. So maybe they were actually that bad or maybe everyone just hated them because they were rich. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we don't we don't actually know. Uh, how bad of a people they were. So any other, anything else on Arianism before I keep moving on? Don't get it confused with white supremacy. Uh, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. How did that get connected with the Aryan nations? I have no it's just a completely different thing. I'm, Isn't it spelled differently? Thanks, yeah. Oh, buckle up for some Google, ladies and gentlemen, because that's about to happen. You do uh, in the meantime, Thomas. Can you can go. So our next heresy is docetism. Does anyone know about docetism? Oh, um, hmm. This is also one with Christ's nature. Uh-huh. Yeah, so these first four all relate to Christ. Is this the one where Jesus is just like a spectral projection? I don't know if I would and say... he's not actually, he doesn't have a body. It's just a big old trick. And he doesn't actually die. It was just like a whoops. Yeah, let me... You're getting at the... Yeah, so docetism is the heresy which denies the full humanity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the name contains this Greek verb which means to seem... Yes, these people <laughs> held that Jesus only seemed to be human, uh, so became popular among the Gnostics, which we talk about way later. But yeah, so the, the part of it is the seeming, so not actually being a human, and then because and, and yeah. if I understand correctly, it's coming out of a reverence for divine for the yes, divinity of Jesus. Exactly. It's coming out of the reverence for divine. There's something um, so distasteful of the idea that of God dying, of God eating, and burping of God, um, um, sort of getting dirty with dust on his feet, that um, the very thought of the of, of God's nature, or of, of you know, um, the Godhood intermingling with dirty humans right. is, is so off-putting that they say, well, he was just, it was just a big old trick. Or is this a seat? Yeah, it just seemed like he was human. But Wait, so what, what was it again? The appearance of Christ being human. That he's not actually... That he just seems to be human. He's not really. Human. Oh, he's like something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So like I was Googling the Aryan nations. Did you figure out the answer? Oh, you were getting fired. (laughs) So the Aryanism is spelled with an I. The Aryan nations is spelled with a Y and comes, I think, from some really old Indo-European script that basically means you're from uh, Germania. Iran. Oh, really? I, I think something like that. That's like the, when you say Caucasian, the Caucasus Mountains, aren't they in, they mm. in Iran? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it's kind of the same idea. Mm. I mean, that was that was the most cursory Google you've ever seen, so I could be, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably wrong about this. No, Brady, you did it right. Um, so he's, he's just he's just an illusion human? He's fully God, not fully man? Yes. Okay. So appears to be human, but is not actually human. This actually, uh, you know, if you, Graham and AJ who are here, you see that I flagged like a hundred things. Yeah. I, I flagged nothing in this chapter. So anyway, sorry. So she he's like Beyonce. What's appears human, but is not actually human. <laughs> She's, is she superhuman? Is that a little more? Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure if you're referencing a song right now. Is this, no. You just actually just, feel this I've, way about I've Beyonce. seen her Super Bowl performance and she, it was incredible. It was a classic. I'm, <laughs> she broke the Super Bowl. In what way did she break the, the Super Bowl? Went out. She is literally used good? up all the power and the, the lights all turned off and that changed the momentum of the game because one team had been winning pretty handily and then it gave i don't know half an hour for the other team to sort of collect themselves do some stretching get a little motivated drink some gatorade and then they came back and won the super bowl i i fully blame beyonce for the outcome of that year's super I feel bowl like you make these things up oh uh, look it up okay good yeah wasn't that atlanta versus uh, uh seahawks was it the seahawks so that was a couple of years ago then isn't that yeah yeah it was probably anyway sports ball four or five Speaking of sports ball do y'all watch the it crowd uh no. yeah you seen that so yeah, they have that one part where one of the characters is like oh. super not into sports and so he gets this like cassette tape and it's how to talk about sports without knowing anything and do you remember what it is like you see that ridiculous <laughs> display last night he just tried to walk it in and then he meets someone who like had the same cassette tape and they talk about how much they hate sports anyway it's wonderful <laughs> it's how i feel about sports ball okay so uh the third one is nestorianism nestorianism oh shit. oh uh Nestor. god g uh, so i think i know this one christ is some sort of indwelling being that possessed a man named jesus mm. and then left just prior to the crucifixion or am um, i thinking gnosticism did it, to... ne- it nested in him is that what i'm thinking that might be a form of adoptionism which we'll get to later I don't think I'm messing this one up. There's just so many. We need to do like trading cards or something. (laughs) For heresies? Mm -hmm. So this is the heresy which denies that Christ was a single person at once God and man. So it's to say that there was a split identity, that Mm. there was a separate God nature and a separate human nature. They were not intermingled. So kind of like that. Yeah, it it, it sounds similar to it. I I don't think there's anything in here about the... So he's he's got... There's two natures? Yes, two separate natures. So So like not monophysite. Tell me what that means. Monophysite means well, there is one nature. Yeah. I guess we'll one get... One nature that is 100% God and 100% yes. man. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. So our our fourth heresy, uh, I'm go, I'm for sure going to butcher this. I tried looking this up before him, and I, I did, and then I, I forgot how to pronounce it. Eutychianism. This is, is this our, the 50-50? Like you, he's kind of half God, half he is, man? There is, a, there is a hybrid nature that is inside Christ. So that hybrid nature is the mingling of God and man. So he's not God, he's not man, he's God-man. It's a separate, <laughs> it's a third type of nature. Oh! <laughs> oh, so it's like it's like if you've ever seen the uh, underworld movies. It's when the vampires and the the werewolves get together and they make a third thing that's more powerful than both. Damn. Yes. Oh. You, can, you can't reference that on this podcast, Donaldson. You get in trouble. I think that's a, that's a no no. Well, I guess if people recognize the reference, they're going to. No, then be that's okay their with, fault, right? No yeah. one knows anything. Yeah. I hope not. Anyway, so those are so. 
again. So so far we've referenced really bad TV shows uh-huh. and rated R films and Arianism like, and, Arian- and the Aryan nations. Yeah, I guess Arianism did oh, a lot more damage well, this, than the I underworld mean, movies. This is ever what did. happens when you start mingling with heresies, you guys. It just takes you down the Primrose path. What Primrose? Primrose? Are you okay? <laughs> Are we all losing our minds right now? You good? Okay. So again, so a question says to the identity of Christ, the type, the, the, what his nature was. So this is why I was separating out. Arianism is more about his creation versus not creation. And we get later to these issues of what is the substance? What is the nature of Christ? Mm -hmm. So either that he has a fully split human and divine nature, this, I, I don't know if you've heard people do this. Sometimes they'll be like, well, you know, this is his human nature here. This is his divine nature here. And they like bounce mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. between those two. But that's not a fair way of talking about him because he is fully both yeah, yeah. at all times. It's not like he's only one at one time. And when he drinks a soda, he is drinking it as God and as man. Yes. Oh, this, this one's extreme. like he's got a partitioned hard drive. Like yes. this time he's working on like Windows 95 and this one he's working on Linux. He's, yes. a, he's emulating. Yeah. There's a, or there's, there's like a, a solid state drive that he runs his OS from and then a spinning <laughs> drive the, that he runs his... The solid state drive is clearly the divine. Clearly the divine because yeah, yeah. it's so much faster. Mm-hmm. You can even drop it and it does mm-hmm. you know, less likely to be damaged. You all are the weirdest people. Okay, so those are the four heresies related to the character of Christ. So this has been summarized by a theologian. So what is the or- what's orthodoxy then? Uh, yeah, let me, give, let me give it to you. So in four words, orthodoxy can be summarized in contradiction to these four views that... Uh, I'll just give it to you in four words. Truly, perfectly, indivisibly, distinctly. The first applied to his being God. So he is truly God. The second to his being man. So he's perfectly, he's a perfect man. The third to his being of both one. So indivisibly. And the fourth to his still continuing that one. What in the world? Sorry. This is my illness coming up. Um, Do you feel like your brain is putting when you are ill? No, right now I feel like there are, two bodybuilders uh-huh. who are they both have a palm against each side of my head and yeah. they're, just, they're just pushing yeah that's both how it feels just pushing on my head or like i start reading and then like i jump three lines and don't know how i did it okay i'm, I'm doing try. great <laughs> so you that sounds like you become a superhero for a second i don't, I don't know i just blank out and i jumped a house i don't <laughs> know how incredible. i did it well again i was unbroken until last week so <laughs> that's got to be a hard truth to know oh, i'm actually Iron not Man. a superhero so let me try this one more time so uh, starting with the third the third to his being of both one so he is both God and man indivisibly. And then, and the fourth to his still continuing that one, both. And that's distinctly. So that's, there's not a melding of the natures, but they like, he is distinctly God and man. We may fully by way of abridgment comprise whatsoever antiquity hath at large handled either in declaration of Christian belief or in refutation of the foresaid heresies. Wow. That sentence made no sense. The summary, the summary, the summary of what is Orthodox belief is, Again, truly, perfectly, indivisibly, and distinctly. He is truly God. He is a he is perfect. He is perfect. He is indivisibly God and man, and he is distinctly God and man. That's not a, uh, an amalgamation of natures. In many ways, like the heresies are attempts to get us out of paradoxes. Yeah, th- this is great, and to get us out of statements that are yeah that are that are paradoxical. Like how can he be both? It you know his natures are 100% God and 100% man, but how are they indivisible or how are they not mushed together? So right. we, we, get, we get these paradoxical statements and then uh, heresies are often these attempts to try to um, sort of close the loop and really yes. finish the circle and say, well, here's what's really going on and it's kind of this one thing, but like we've mentioned before that if you actually hold on to that, 
especially when it comes to Christ's nature. If you actually hold on to any of those heresies, then substitutionary atonement doesn't work anymore. Yep. And then, and not only that, but I think that it, we're skunked. it simplifies God to a point where it, it would be discouraging for me. I like that I can't understand God and he doesn't fit in my brain. Because if he did, if I fully understood everything that was going on there, I feel like, you know, yeah. Having a lockdown on how God works is would be discouraging as a deity. You'd hope that at some point, since you were talking about a infinite um, being of immeasurable power, that at some point, like language and your ability to comprehend it should reach its outermost bounds. Because yeah. if it didn't, then then what? Are, then what are we? Then what are we, what are we talking about? So, really fast side note there. When we're talking about paradoxes, one of the things that comes up with students all the time is that could God create, God create a rock so large he couldn't lift it? And that is, for the record, not a paradox. It's not even really good reasoning because God is infinite. Therefore, he can create an infinite rock. And if he created an infinite rock, there's nowhere to move it to. So it cannot move because it occupies all space. So if everyone, uh, anyone ever asks you that question, say yeah, God can an create an infinite rock and no, he can't move it because it would occupy everything. Dumb, dumb. And then walk off down the street. Make sure you say the dumb, dumb but, part. But, yeah, important. that's the important one is really just put them in their place. The one that students really just grind them down. You really, you really press, the, press them into the dust with your thumb. So no, the one that students come, ac- uh, come across, especially when we're talking about Paradise Lost is, okay, if God is a standard of goodness, was it just, what, is what we call good sort of this arbitrary thing that God made? Or and therefore can change? Can he change the standard? Or is it of his nature, therefore it is an unchangeable standard? I always land on the second one that it's that's just of his nature. So uh, they, they say like, do, 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 does logic, is logic something that um, God is beholden to? Um, um, or, does, or does God write like constitutions for himself that he himself can't break? Like it's on Paradise Lost. God says, I made man unchangeable. I made man free, and if I wanted to uh, if I wanted to have him not fall, I would have to revoke revoke my law unchangeable, that I have decreed him free, and I'm not gonna undecree him free. And students are like, wait, but God can do whatever he wants. Why doesn't he just say like nuts to my law? Um, and then that opens up the question of can God can God say, you know, can can God say, I promise to do this and then not and then be bound by it. I, I, so I think he can. But Bo- Boethius would agree with you that that God's goodness and his nature are inseparable mm-hmm. because if if there is a separate goodness from God to which he is subordinate, then he is not the greatest and most powerful thing. He is submitting to something else and therefore he's not the most yeah. powerful. Right? There, there's a rule that has to rule him and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. At least that was Boethius's reasoning. And I'm not saying Boethius is the best. He's got some other problems like because you don't want to be dismembered, you clearly seek God. Like that is, that's a uh, some squiffy what? reasoning. What are you He's, about? This is a great reasoning. Uh, no. I don't want to be dismembered, so I seek Me God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he, I don't think one necessarily leads to the other, but he kind of uses some some equivocation yeah. to get there. In any case, I think in this particular spot, he reasons pretty well. But let's let's keep that. Yeah, sure. So sorry, AJ. Your question before was about a person being. Uh, I forget the phrase that you used that there was a human baby and then like a God nature entered that baby when it, when it was born. Is that what your question about Nestorianism? Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought Nestorianism yeah, yeah. So was. I think that's actually probably Gnosticism. Or well, I, just to say Nestorianism was a reaction to Virgin, the Virgin Mary being called Theotokos, which means God bearer. Mm. And so some level, what you're saying is right. He was worried about people saying that Mary had God inside of her. He wanted to say that there was a Jesus that was inside of her, which was a human child. And then as that child was born, then became God. So she didn't have God inside of her. God 
came into this child after after leaving Mary. So this mm-hmm. is all motivated to knock Mary down a few yes. pegs? Is that the deal? He There was what the chapter is describing is that there was like rampant Mary worship. And so part of that Mary worship came from seeing her as having God inside of her, like the literal, like she was the... Theotokos. Uh, the God bearer. She, I, I'm trying to draw... What's the... She was the ark. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there was great honor given to her because of God being inside of her. And so to knock that down a few pegs, he was trying to say that, no, she had this human child inside of her that was then Christ after, like became, became God, God afterwards after being birthed. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So maybe, so yes. So to add more validity, to what you're saying, yes, that is a piece of it. Okay. So let's move on to, I'm going to breeze through a few and then get us to Gnosticism. We'll camp out at Gnosticism. I'll make some wrapping up remarks and then we will be done with this. So just to name a few of the other heresies, this, AJ might relate more to what you're talking about. Adoptionism is Jesus Christ, the son of God by nature or by adoption. That is to say, was he born the son of God or did he become the son of God? People often will point to his baptism Mm -hmm. as a point where he becomes the son of God at that point in a sense that he was just a dude for 30 years, then gets baptized and becomes the son of God. And that gets shot down. The answer to that is nah. The next one is... Why? What's the... uh, It's like getting assumed into the... Who are the the Masons? Like you have your mm. ceremony and then yep. you're, then you're then you Mason. Someone. Yep. Yeah. There's a charm to it of that, that Christ is in fact one of the people. He is, he is like, there's, I find it, I, I love that for 30 years, he essentially was just like a carpenter and probably like a really awesome carpenter, but like there wasn't anything big in his life for those first 30 years. I wonder if he had a reputation for just making the most perfect tables. Must've been right. Yeah. I bet they were really good. Um, but for 30 years, there's like nothing to remark on in his life. And then, but does he need to be perfect and making tables no. to be God? Like, I see that my students say this from time to time. It's like, if Jesus played basketball, he just drained threes all day. And it's like, maybe. Maybe. I doubt it. I mean, that doesn't seem to... Like, missing a three doesn't... It's, that's not sin. Yeah. And yeah. making a... Well, it's missing the mark. Yeah. Like, in some very literal sense, not getting the goal, not getting it in the hoop is literally missing. Mm-hmm. I don't... No, in no our, but it's not, but missing is not a sin. Like, getting <sighs> something wrong in math isn't sinful. Uh, it's not. So in it's just in it's our in our in our uh, professional learning community in our in our training as a part of Veritas, mm-hmm. AJ and I are in a group together where we're reading through Tim Keller's. It's a book about work. Work is, is worship. Work is is it? It? I don't remember the name of it. Something this is about work. Yep, it's about work. Anyway, AJ was asking about will light bulbs have to be replaced in heaven, and my answer was no because the light bulbs won't break. Like sin the sin of the light bulb is that it breaks like the incompleteness that's fine but like the fallen nature of the light bulb is that it breaks like in dante's purgatory there are all these instances where every time he like takes a fruit from a tree it grows back immediately because the perfect form of that tree is the tree with whatever its fruit is in the same way with i think someone like way out holied me and was like there won't be any light bulbs because God will be the light of the city, which was a good answer. But just to say that, like the fact that things break down is because of the fall. You can just, that's fine. But the fact that we get things wrong, I don't know. There's a difference between getting them wrong and learning. This feels like a separate episode. You want to say yep. anything before I move on? No, it's just, I, I, I don't think that, that not understanding something immediately is, is somehow part of the fall. Like I think, um, I, I find no problem with Joseph teaching 14-year-old Jesus how to, like, level his shelf when his first mm. shelf was, was all Willy Wonks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, doesn't to, that doesn't, to me, 
indicate that he is like not divine. Yeah, because I don't think an unlevel shelf even even has to do with the sin curse of the world. Like it's not like unlevel shelves came in with sin. Or huh? and, and if you talk about the perfect form of the tree, I think again we're letting some Greek ideas. I think the perfect form of the tree is one that is growing and produces fruit, not necessarily one that has all its fruit, right? It's not sin to have someone eat the beautiful fruit you've produced. No, but that's yeah, why. Because is that moment when he plucked the fruit, the split second before the new fruit automatically grew back, like some kind of of the the tree's sin? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't. Uh, no. But I don't know. It's I, I'm happy to return to this another time. But yeah. So, uh, moving on in heresies, the next one, which I will for sure I butcher. I feel like we're going to have to return to this. I mean, you signed a statement of faith. I don't think I became heretical <laughs> at this point. Okay, this is awkward. Um, uh, Theo, I'm going to mispronounce this one, sorry. Theo, pascatism, is Jesus Christ able or unable to suffer in his divine nature? Mm. This is a fun one. So, mm. when Jesus is on the cross, what is uh, what is suffering? And the answer is that it is uh, not his divine nature. What the, what this point is getting at is that the divine nature of Christ is immovable. So God can choose to change his mind. God can choose to love. God can do all these things, but he is not impacted by things outside of God. Mm-hmm. The vicissitudes of life. Yeah, that. So the suffering on the cross, yes, was very painful, but did not impact then the divine nature of Christ, which is a deep mystery as to how that worked. But just say that. Okay. And that's, and that's the heresy. The heresy is, was saying that Christ suffered in his divine nature on the cross. That's the heresy. Is that the divine oh. nature suffered? Yes. Because it was impacted by something outside of... Mm, yeah. To say that the divine nature suffered is to say that something outside of God can impact God. And that's not true. You all are looking at each other. Well, I'm, I just realized we may be heretics. Okay. Which um, is fine. No, it's just because... I'm going to have to go do some thinking. That's fine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Like Jesus, in the shower for Jesus a while. wept, right? Yes. Uh, John, John eleven, yep. where he sees where, where Lazarus is dead, yep. has died. Were to say that God is not moved by suffering, or he is is being moved by suffering a suffering. Is being moved by suffering. Like if you suffering. to be sad, to suffer alongside somebody, is that suffering? Yeah. Um. Let me try. God suffers not in his divinity, but in his humanity. The impassable divine nature was not confused with or changed into passable human nature in the person of Christ, but the impassable divine nature was united with his human nature indivisibly and inseparably so that as a whole person, God could suffer in Christ as a man. So yes, Jesus wept, but God doesn't weep. Uh, God, the father doesn't weep. Someone's going to send us an email about this one. Let me, all right, listeners, does God, the father weep? Where's my other one? There's one about God loving. Yeah, but this is not so. God isn't loving despite being impassable. He is loving because he is impassable. Remember our definition. The impassable God can't be acted upon from without and Mm -hmm. can't change himself from within. If God is love, that's good news because nothing can change that. So so the notion depends on suffering being able to change God. A thing outside of God, yes. Is that the idea? The idea is that something outside of God cannot change God. Hmm. But suffering, therefore, in this conception, is that it changes God. Yes. I would have to have someone explain why suffering changes someone. Why suffering changes someone? Because it hurts. Because it's an if outside. I punch you, if I outside. punch you, you're going to hurt, right? I've impacted yeah, you. I haven't changed. You have been hurt. Still me, bro. But you've been 
but you've been hurt. Like I have impacted you. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get you. Sorry. But is the crawler to like, like if we, if we give praises to God, are we not changing him? Is he not pleased by it? And is anti-suffering? He's, he's ultimately pleased all the time. I think would be he's, the answer to that. He's having a great time. Just having a jolly, jolly guy. Yeah. And that's jo- the jovial. That's one about l- loving. He is loving no matter what. There's no changing that from the outside. I got to think, I got to think upon. Okay. Yeah. This is my problem of uh, cramming all of these. I now regret this and I'm not going to do it. Let's skip to Gnosticism. Oh. Uh, so would you all please tell me what Gnosticism is? I mean, Greek, so the word gnosis means to know. Is it to know, knowledge? And it's based on... Wasn't it a, kind of a secret knowledge cult? Yes. Yeah, it's a secret yeah. knowledge cult and it has a couple of wings. So one is, is is that the sort of the farther along the... There's like the, the initiates orthodoxy and then there's like the secret orthodoxy for those who are like super into Christianity. Um, that's one, one part of it, yeah, with Gnosticism. Yeah. And then the other part is a strong belief in the sort of evilness of matter and creation and, and the goodness of pure spirit and the goodness of pure spirit and part of what god has called us to is to escape the bonds of our meat prisons and you know uh be with him in in a pure matter spiritual realm um so has lots of Lots of ties over to a lot of Eastern or Eastern religions as well. And if I remember Buddhism right, probably being the closest one. If I remember right, in the higher echelons, isn't the doctrine that Jesus or whatever spirit indwelt Jesus, which I'll get to in a second, wasn't wasn't even the highest, most preeminent god? He was sort of a sub god mm-hmm. of several a demiurge or something. A demiurge, like that. and then one. So the big problem with Gnosticism, and this is what got everybody up in arms, is that. The Christology changes because matter is so evil. Mm -hmm. God could never become matter because it's evil and gross and terrible and pure spirit is way better. So Jesus was just some regular dude that got possessed by a pure spirit that sort of walked him around like a meat puppet. And then at the moment of crucifixion, abandoned him right before he died. Mm -hmm. So this poor Jesus fella got indwelt by a spirit, possessed and walked around and then woke up right before he got smoked on a cross. Mm -hmm. And that because they didn't think that pure spirit could die. It couldn't be a part of this thing called death, right? It's eternal. And so only the the matter, what mm-hmm. was left, Jesus, this poor guy, died. So, yeah, there was no comm- like pure commingling of the natures. He was not 100% God and 100% man. He was meat puppet. A lot of time they get, they get sort of swept up into um, uh, sort of... <laughs> ecstatic expressions of of spiritual indwellings and that sometimes and oftentimes in the ancient world that had expressions of you know um um sort of perverse sexual uh rights and that kind of thing every once in a while you would get you would get the sort of prophet person that would say i am also indwelt by some strong spirit and i've got this new message to add to it and you get this sort of cult following and um, I think the attraction was the secret knowledge thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to know all the secrets. Yeah. And uh, it was attractive at the beginning because it says matter is gross and everybody doesn't like having diseases. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got your bum toe and you think, yeah, that is pretty terrible. And I like to think my pure spirit is separate than that. And eventually I won't have to deal with this meat prison. And plus there's secret stuff to learn later, right? All that's attractive. Yeah. And, you, and it's practically it works out to keep adherence because you've got <laughs> people, you've got... Um, 
you know, the next sort of level to get to. And people will be like, okay, well, if I just keep doing this thing that my upper, my, my, you know, the people above me keep telling me to do, then I'll get like, you know, level up and then I can learn the next little secret knowledge. And so it's, you know, keeps a, keeps a good retention rate on the old mystery cult. Which someone brought up Masons before, but kind of feels like in the same vein as that. Feels to me more like Scientology. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. the greatest secrets are kept to the highest echelons and to get there you have you have to be so far indoctrinated already that when you finally arrive you accept it as pure fact yeah so to focus it gnosticism is the heresy which asserts that people are saved by being initiated into a special kind of spiritual knowledge taught by a jesus who was not fully human and did not die and by practicing sp- special disciplines in order to affect spiritual release from the evil material realm created by the demiurge which is what was just brought up so we pretty much nailed it is what you're saying and that's bring about reunion with the transcendent divine being yeah you crushed it so Woo-woo. Uh, so they're currently holding hands. So congratulations. <laughs> you guys just missed the most awkward high five. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. So yes, problems of Gnosticism is that it's teaching that you can't trust what's been handed down in the church. It's all, you know, these are general truths, but they're actually special ones that you can find out. And yeah, you've gotten to the allure of it, of getting that special knowledge. There's some, there's a, the, it can be highly individualistic, so yeah. people can claim that they've got their own special knowledge and they've got their own sort of their own take on it, and it's been revealed to them privately. And yeah, the par- parts of what you all are talking about are heresy of the free spirit, which we're not going to cover today or probably ever. But uh, free spirit is where you get into there being two different types of wills, like the one that most normal people get and the one that special people get. But that's beside the point. So. Graham, you brought up a hot take on Gnosticism being some form of modern heresy. Do you want to say more about that? Um, I think just the the sharp separation between mind and body in modern, our sort of modern take on it. Uh, the other one being that a um, a strong willingness and, and ability or desire to say that my own that I, I've sort of come up with my own personal take on this thing that um, does not need to come under any sort of outside authority, and I can just kind of do it on my own. Um, so the uh, the sort of cafeteria or the yeah the cafeteria model of of taking this little piece of this and this little piece of this and this little piece of this and mushing it together into my own private spirituality, um, I would say is is uh, a form of Gnosticism, um, and. But the biggest one, I think, is, is the separation of that you've got a spiritual reality as a person and you've got a physical reality as a person. And those two things do not necessarily have to have any currency, that there is a real true magby deep down inside that is separate from the, the meat magby that we see in front of us. And your, your physical body does not have any bearing on the sort of spirituality of your heart. Um, and um, I... We, we have secular versions of it bouncing around in, um, um, in a lot of the the philosophy around identity and the idea of like what is a person, how does some person come across their identity, and a lot of the language is is talked about that there is a there is a psychological identity on the inside that is does not necessarily need to be beholden to the outside realities of of the physical space. Um, I think. Um, a lot of this is finding a lot of um, currency on the internet because the internet can basically you can separate the you know 
the real world from the online world and you and you it, it can help sort of train that disconnect where you can have your avatar life and you can and then you can sort of separate that from your um, from your your meat space world um, and things like you know virtual reality is gonna sort of um, amplify that those habits those habits of, of, of fracturing the self yep another form of this taken from the book is there a modern day version of Gnosticism that Christians should seek to avoid <laughs> a psychotherapy which suggested that the knowledge that we gain of ourselves in the psychotherapeutic relationship is itself what makes us whole be- human beings would perhaps be a genuine Gnosticism in a contemporary form it would have substituted self-knowledge for God's redemptive initiative in Christ for Gnostics ancient and modern Jesus redeems us by teaching by helping us to understand ourselves for the church Jesus is not just a teacher but the Christ the risen lord the word made flesh for the world's redemption. Mm-hmm. So. And this is although I, we were talking about this before the podcast this would be where I find my, personally the break that I have with um with uh um sort of popular psychologists I think Jordan Peterson who, who we've never we've never talked about in the podcast before but I know that nope. we've all we all at some points listened to. This would be personally my break that I have with him is that at the end, his conclusions are that it is self. It is the the self's responsibility. If I understand him correctly, it's the self's responsibility and the self knowledge that has one about themselves, which is the locus of salvation. And Christian orthodoxy would say that the locus of salvation is outside. It is a it yep. is a um, a repentance to God and a salvation by, from by means of His Spirit. And so that would be. I don't know if I'm calling Jordan Peterson a Gnostic. Uh, maybe I am. Maybe, but um, but that would be um, um, at least the seeds of that kind of idea that that salvation comes from self knowledge, from really sort of looking deep in yourself and understanding who you are, and saying like, who do I want to be, and then and then picking that, and then picking that, and then doing that, yep. or or believing that you can do that, and it is going to going to happen apart from God. Yep. All right, just to wrap up on this, so what are some of the main, why does any of this stuff matter? So a thing that we've said before is that we only get to a place of theology by having these disagreements. So because of heretics, we have, we get orthodoxy, we get the creeds, we get confessions, we get the statements of faith through heresy, through disagreements in the church. So there is a benefit to heresy, which it feels like a weird thing to say, but something that the book likes to, you know, bring up every once in a while is that uh, the word heresy is used in the Greek translation of Greek translation. Is that the right way to say that? Anyway, in first Corinthians. So heresy, according to its Greek root denotes opinion or school of thought. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians writes that it's well, there should be different opinions. Literally he uses the word heresies among them in order. There's a, so it says that there should be different opinions. There should be heresies among them in order that those who are, who are genuine may be recognized. It was only later that the term acquired its pejorative meaning of erroneous opinion. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people stumble is the idea that is, is, is the pejorative use yep. of it. Yep. I mean, I, I think every Christian at some point has a heretical belief, a heretical belief <laughs> right. that they need to work itself out or they need to understand um, – um, even AJ and I on this podcast thinking about God's suffering, right? Like now we need to sit down and sort of think through this. Well, what we, what's at stake? What's at stake by saying God suffers and what isn't at stake by saying God suffers and, and, um, and working that out? Um, if we are obstinate in, in the face of it and we, we hold to one thing 
because I don't know because of a uh, because of a sunk cost fallacy or whatever, right. um, then uh, um, then that's where it becomes sort of a personal problem or a relational problem with you and the church and you and God. But but honestly, working out your understanding of how these things work, and uh, I think is part of part of faith. For our for our listeners, two two notes. First, the sunk cost <laughs> fallacy. If you don't know what that is, I think it's yeah. that you stick to an idea because you've already put so much effort or yeah. money into it. Mm-hmm. Like we got to keep on keeping on because it's the 4am this essay's crap, but I'm going to keep going with it. Yeah. I can't, I can't start a new one. Yeah. And then if you are not a Christian and listen to this podcast, I know there's some of you out there, then this, I think this information is still valuable in understanding the progression of the early church and understanding how just, just the historicity of how the church deals with differing opinions and how those opinions in the church came about. Like that's still pretty valuable. No, just understand I agree. I think it's it. a broader point though. It's that if someone disagrees with you about something that you should seek to understand why they disagree. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the history of heresy of it's two people with valid points on both sides coming to eventually say one is right, but you have to understand the other side first. Yeah. And I think that's, we like to make fun of people who read classics poorly because they approach it with a political lens before they approach the work. But there's a value in understanding why people are approaching it that way. This, I, I, There's a value in understanding it. Yeah, it doesn't mean you should read. We're so far over time that uh, I have much more to say, but I won't. Just to wrap up, that, so, another, so one piece of it is that we understand our beliefs by engaging in disagreement. That's the first point, and that is not only for Christians. That is mm-hmm. for anyone. And the second, I think, is also a broad point, is what happens to these heretics? Are they all killed? Are they all kicked out and here's a fun quote what happened to these people Arius was banished but later recalled and athanasius was ordered to receive him back into communion seriously yes i didn't even know that apollinarius lived to a ripe old age and himself and himself seceded from the church he was not kicked out after Mm. nestorius's views were condemned he was sent back to his monastery at antioch though he was eventually exiled to upper egypt which isn't great eutyches was also deposed and exiled uh one of the adoptionists we did talk about that. One of the adoptionists retained possession of his position of bishop all his life. And Peter, the fuller of the Theopascites, so the suffering of the divine nature people, was still patriarch of Antioch at the time of his death. Marcion, like Pelagius, was excommunicated. Valentinus, the Gnostic, seceded, so himself chose to leave. None of these men had his bloodshed on account of his views. I trust I'm not so naive as yeah. to assume that killing or physically wounding someone is always the worst thing you can do to them. There's more than one way to skin a heretic. Ha ha ha. But let it at least be stated that none of these men died or bled when his opinions were denounced. It is a prejudice to assume that heresy hunters are all torturers and sadists or in hawk to the same mm-hmm. history doesn't support it yeah huh. we have this idea of like the inquisition yep. when it comes to heresies but that's not what the early church did what was happening right. yeah it's not what they wanted they yeah. want they desired besides re- the early church was getting hunted down anyway yeah so they didn't need to hunt their own but just to say it was not all killing of people who disagreed with them there was a desire to be reconciled and more often than not whoever was eventually branded a heretic chose to leave themselves so i think that matters but anyway that's Cool. What I got? All right. Well, thank you, audience, for tuning in to this heretical episode of Classical Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can check us out on Twitter at, at C-L-S-S-C-A-L. Check out our website, which is classicalstuff.net. And you can see us about town. About town. We are men about town. Swinging our canes. (laughs) Doing the things. Wearing our capes. We we fancy. uh, uh, Holding our monocles above our poor eye. That's us. Well, thanks for listening. Let's just (laughs) stop. Good. Let's just stop.